Welcome to this week's episode of Extraordinary Entrepreneurs Together, the podcast for entrepreneurs interested in fast growth and funding, powered by EHE Capital. Welcome to this week's episode of Extraordinary Entrepreneurs Together. This week, we're discussing a very interesting topic for entrepreneurs, and that is discussing whether or not you really have control of your private equity-backed company. How might you know if you don't? How does having a majority shareholding not give you control? And what are some of the things you can do about it? I'm going to hand you over to Gary Fletcher, who's going to kickstart this episode, and he has some interesting remedies as well. Gary, over to you. Thank you, Georgia. This is quite a complex area to discuss private equity deals, and obviously every deal is different, but I'm just going to highlight some one or two areas that I've come across personally and I've seen happen as well. The age-old communication is if you've got 51% of a company, then you have control you know, through the voting shares, but that's not always the case. And if you're involved in private equity deals, sometimes the control is in the legal detail. We all know that most entrepreneurs, some entrepreneurs are very good at the detail, but most don't really focus on the detail. Deal's done, the big picture, let's move on and get growing the company. But actually, the finer detail in, in the legals is where all the action can be, whether you have control or not. One of the most annoying things is that what happens is the principle of the deal is struck with the entrepreneur and his management team. And then what happens is the entrepreneur, whether he's being paid out a little bit or something along the line, he's, he's got his money and he's starting to spend it, whether that's personally on his new car or house or whatever it is, something for his partner or, or something of that nature, or he's already spent it in the company and he's starting to progress the company and where he's going to spend that money for the growth. So when it comes in late, these little clauses, these little legal agreements, it's very hard to reverse from very common strategy of private equity. So they'll do most of the deal, the principal deals with the entrepreneur quite early on or midway through the, the deal, but right at the last minute. And often they find excuses because they have investment committees. So they have to send the investment through a final investment committee. And they often say things like, oh, didn't we talk about that with you? Sorry about that. It was one of those final things the investment committee insisted on. Sorry, I can't do anything about it. And you're left with, I've now not got control of my company. What do I do? I've been at this for six months. I've got the investor. I've got where I need the company to grow. Do I now fall out of bed with these people because of this clause? And the answer is probably you should, but it's quite painful. But it's a very common strategy and it's, it's quite irritating and, I, and I've seen it a lot. There's a couple of points I've taken from that. You know, I don't have the experience you have in private equity investment, but you know, I've come close once in in a, one of the deals that I've been involved in in losing a lot of money because something happened that could have meant that the payout at the end of the deal was substantially less than was expected, and that was just through circumstances. It wasn't really anybody's fault, but because we hired really good legal help, and that doesn't mean massively expensive, by the way. That just means that you find a really good lawyer. And you don't have to go to the big firms and pay the, the massive lowry rate to find good lawyers. You know, there are some good lawyers in smaller local firms who are building company uh, themselves. This was a case with us. We, you know, we use Burnham's in Manchester and they spotted something they protected us against in the unlikely scenario that it would happen. And the unlikely scenario did happen. And it literally saved millions of pounds in this particular deal. 
don't skimp on legal advice for whatever the type of deal is you're doing, whether it's private equity, investment to grow, or if it's an exit, the same rules apply. You've covered one of my remedies. I've got sort of three or four remedies, and that's certainly one of them. So if we go right, the situation I've described is a danger for an entrepreneur. We recognise that it's not always in their makeup to have that detail. So what can you do about it? And I think just picking up on yours, Guy, let's use that as, as number one, is appoint someone who has experience in private equity, has done many deals, and can help and guide the entrepreneur from a legal perspective. That is definitely one of them. And I'd agree with you, you know, a lot of the expensive London lawyers, you don't need those. There's a lot of provincial lawyers who have got this experience and charge probably about 25% of what the London ones do. I think that's number one. If I had number two, I'd probably say have a detailed, trusted, confident advisor, often from an accountant's background with also peer experience to give you advice and guidance over a coffee or a beer. The deal is complex. It's often many millions of pounds, as you say. It's really important to the entrepreneur. So you need not only the solicitor, you also need somebody very close to you that you trust who has been there and done it, really. And I think if I could put EHE in a category, that would be one of them, I think, for what we would help and provide entrepreneurs. So you need a trusted advisor. You need a, a good solicitor experienced in private equity. Two other areas that are worth considering is heads of terms. In plain English, this is something that I've used all my life, really. So for those who are not aware of what heads of terms are, they're sort of like a pre-legal set of information set out. And often you can do it yourself, actually, with your trusted advisor, maybe your legal person, but don't get too wrapped up in the legals. It's like, this is my understanding of our deal. And so you get the private equity uh, investment director or somebody to sign them, and you sign them. And that is plain English, not legal speak, understanding of the deal we're about to enter. And you both sign it. That is really, really helpful. Critical, actually, because the words, they often hide behind the interpretation of words. It's just mind blowing how one sentence can make the difference between you getting, as you say, guy, X million or Y less. Just one sentence. So when we do heads of terms, they should be in plain English. They should not be in legal speak. They should be what you understand, and you get them agreed with the investment director of the private equity company, and you stand a better chance, number three. However, going back to my point, they can still change those clauses. Even if you sign it, and the investment director of the private equity company has signed it, and you've got very clear English, they can still use the final investment committee to change the deal at the last minute. That and is yeah. not uncommon. And you're saying that it might not be a coincidence. It might be actually a tactic that yes. is, is used. So you have to be guard against that, I guess. I would say 99% of the time it's a tactic. Wow. That high. It is a deliberate strategy because they know how deals work because that's their bread and butter. That's what they do for a living. So they know if it comes in late in the day, it's very hard for the entrepreneur to back away. And go somewhere else. So my final bit to help the entrepreneur is keep competition in the process to the end. Even, even when you've chosen, what tends to happen is there's a bit of a beauty parade. You have a couple of meetings with various investors and then you choose one. But what you should do is choose one with a backup and make the one that you've chosen absolutely aware that you're keeping the backup warm and in the detail and the details. So you can switch. So then they don't play the tactics. 
if they want this deal, which they will, because they've gone a long way now and probably spent some money, they don't want you switching. Now, they won't play the dirty tactic if you've got somebody else. If they think they're the only player in town, they will definitely play dirty tactics and squeeze you at the end. So those are the four practical steps that you can you can take with legal detail, late in the day tactics. It's being aware of these things and it goes back to the point that you need somebody who's experienced in this kind of stuff because it's easy for an entrepreneur to to miss it and you you need that expertise you know in the next podcast that we're going to do you know and not just an accountant you know it's a similar idea there that there are specialists in these areas even though it seems like a lot of money that you're going to spend on these people and i think there's ways to mitigate that to to a point anyway it's still going to be a reasonable sum of money but in my opinion and my experience with various situations it's always money well spent because you know not everybody is as I'm not sure trustworthy is the right word, but you know, got various angles where they try and get a better deal sometimes without being entirely transparent about the way that they're doing it. Yeah. And I think, you know, they're not they're not all bad, but it is a tactic that, you know, I would want entrepreneurs to be aware of. And one of the sort of examples that I would give is something I hadn't come across until private equity was something called warranties. <laughs> It makes me laugh because you just think, oh, warranties, right? Well, what is warranties? Well, on the way in and on the way out, the entrepreneur and his management team have to sign their life away, basically, to say, if I have fibbed and I haven't told the whole truth to the investor, there's a penalty, okay? And the negotiation is the quantum and how this is invoked. So if it's like, oh, I haven't told them the correct address of our X branch, well, that's hardly likely to be a warranty issue. But if I've fibbed on, I forgot to tell them about some legal process we've been involved in with a customer, then that could be because it could cost the investor quite a lot of money. So I've seen what penalties on warranties range from about 50,000 to over a million. And the classic response from the investor is, well, clearly you've told us the truth, haven't you? So why are you worried about warranties? If you've told us the truth, we can put any number on there, can't we? Because it's not going to happen. That's their response. And yours is, well, I think I've told you everything. I, I don't know if my management team have told you everything, but what happens if that comes up and I've got to shell out a million quid? You're having a joke. So there's, they're the two. The one that's really amazing on warranties that fascinates me is on the way out, so you've now gone on the way in with an investor and you've done really well and now you're celebrating because you've done well on the, on the way out. The private equity company won't give any warranties. No, zero. You, again and the management team, the entrepreneur management team, have to give all the warranties on the way out as well. So to the new buyer or the trade buyer, you have to, again, do another set of warranties that you've been paid out, but you generally, they'll probably wane after about a year, maybe maybe two. If nothing's come up in that time, then you're free to spend your cash. It's just one example of where I think that the whole tenor of this sort of podcast is get good advice, and you can only fight so much. So I can remember very clearly sitting down going, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. That's ridiculous. Why am I doing all the warranties and the private equity isn't? My legal counsel said, look, you can you can argue and bleat about that all you like. They're not going to change it. No private equity in the company in the country does it. So you either do the deal with the private equity company or you don't. You're putting your ass on the line for, your, for the warranties, I'm afraid. That's the way it is. Gary, does it happen then that an entrepreneur needs to look out for the things that they, they may not at first think that they should look out for? Like if, if there's someone listening to this who's naive to the process, going to it for the first time, is this something they should really be alert to? You know, entrepreneur, I know what entrepreneurs, because we are 
entrepreneurs. They don't always think of the legal detail. I'm one of those as well. You need to get people to do it. You need good advice. You need a trusted confidant and you need a couple of tactics that put the, the odds in your favour, really. Now, look, every deal is different and they won't work out as I've described there. But you just have to be a bit savvy in an area you're not. And the people who are investing in your company are savvy. They do it day in, day out. This is what they do for a living. And they are very experienced and skillful at the legal process and the accountancy process, which very often an entrepreneur is not. So you're going to have to, you know, it's a steep learning curve. And what we're sharing here, often you won't hear. We're sharing the sort of a a raw, honest truth because that's how Guy and I work. But, you know, we're just trying to point out, you've just got to be a bit careful. And I'm speaking from experience and it's cost me as I go through. And I've also seen it in other companies and other people. So we're just pointing out one or two areas to be careful of. You know, the capital that private equity companies provide is critical for their growth and for my growth and success. But you've just got to be careful to get the right deal. You know, I mean, listening to you, Gary, there's kind of two big takeaways for me. You made lots of points, right? But the two that I've really kind of picked up on, one is the quality of legal advice. Make sure you get proper legal advice from people who literally just like the investors do this day in, day out, and they know all the tricks of the trade and and that kind of thing. They know what to look out for. As I said before, that it's not always someone trying to gain an advantage by doing certain things. It can be the situation that changes. You've got to guard yourself about the, the stuff that may happen, but it's probably unlikely, but occasionally it does. So, you know, you need to kind of guard yourself uh, against that kind of thing. And I think the other point I wanted to pull out, so the second one was the idea of tactics. And I like that, you know, having options because that kind of works in your favor then, because if you aren't getting on well with the private equity company for whatever reason, that doesn't bode well actually for the relationship on a long-term basis. So I think, you know, as well as the the budgetary side of things, you, you want to get on well with them. You might need them in the future. There might be another round of investment. There might be a situation that you need their support with that is unexpected. Whatever the situation, you want to get on well with them. And if if the relationship's got off on the bad foot, then it may well be worth looking at your plan B. So having the tactics and having a plan A and a plan B at least, and you know maybe even a, a third one in your back pocket, seems to make absolute sense to me. Yeah, it does. And to be fair, you know, it's I say 99%. Might be a bit high that, but there might be an investment committee that makes a change. What you want your investment director to do is to come straight up to you and say, "Look, this has been forced on me. I can't change this," and that that is command. But to make you aware of it, not try and slide it in the legals without you picking up. Yeah, you're right. The relationship is is really important, and how they go about it. You know, we're just highlighting one or two issues. There's lots of deals that don't have these, but you just got to be a bit careful. Streetwise. Yeah, I think it is streetwise. And I think that's what, you know, EHE does bring to the table. We are streetwise. We can help. We can direct. You know, the, the flip side, of it, one of the things we haven't talked about is there are some corporate companies that can advise you through this process as well. Again, that's just knowing who they are. They are out there. There's, there's lots of companies. They do charge a lot. They can and do work on contingency, which means they don't charge you until the deal's done. But a lot will want some fees up front. But they can point out a lot of this as well from a corporate perspective and, and run a process. So it's not just people like ourselves, there are other companies out there. Good. Okay. I think we'll probably uh, cover that topic. Gary, anything else for you to add? No, I think that uh, hopefully has helped entrepreneurs think it through. It's helped me. Thank you. Yeah. Cheers. <laughs> Thanks.
both very much. See you next week. Thank you for listening to this episode of Extraordinary Entrepreneurs Together. Visit the EHE Capital website, ehe.capital, for further insights and to join the EHE community.